welcome to the Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart Podcast. Each week, we interview the best and brightest in physical therapy, wellness, and entrepreneurship. We give you cutting-edge information you need to live your best life, healthy, wealthy, and smart. The information in this podcast is for entertainment purposes only and should not be used as personalized medical advice. And now, here's your host, Dr. Karen Litzee. Hey everybody, welcome back to the podcast. I'm your host, Karen Litzy, and in today's episode, Dr. Shannon Sepulveda is back, and holy cow, is she back in a big way with her guest, Nikki Kimball. Nikki Kimball is an American distance runner specializing in the ultramarathon. She ran her first 100-mile race at the Western States 100-mile endurance run in 2004 and was the female winner. She was the winning female at Western States again in 2006 and 2007, becoming only the third woman to win Western States three times. In 2014, she won the marathon, I'm going to screw this up, DeSalbe's multi-stage endurance race on her first attempt. Prior to running, her main sport was cross-country skiing. She was crewed at the 2007 Western States by U.S. Senator Max Bacchus of Montana, where Kimball lives. She lives in Bozeman, Montana, and she is also a physical therapist, and she is one of the most, I cannot stress this enough, she is one of the most accomplished ultra runners alive on the planet, and she sat down with Shannon for an awesome interview So they talk about Nikki's journey to becoming a long-distance running athlete, the societal health and wellness ramifications of running, which Nikki speaks to and teaches through her profession as a physical therapist, and how her experience as a physical therapist has shaped her running journey, and gender differences, both physical and financial, in competitive running. This will blow your mind. And it really goes to show you that people who do this ultra running and who are in these races, I mean, it is a family. They do it because they love it. They don't do it for the money. They don't do it for the recognition. And Nikki is an amazing role model for any woman out there in any sport. So a huge thank you to Dr. Shannon Sepulveda for this really wonderful interview. It's a long one, but it is worth it. So thanks, Shannon, and thank you, thank you, thank you, Nikki, for being such a superb guest on the podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart podcast. I am your guest host, Shannon Sepulveda, and I am here with Nikki Kimball. Hi, Nikki. Hi, Shannon. (laughs) So Nikki, can you tell us a bit about you and what you do? About me and what I do. Yeah. <laughs> My favorite subject. Um, <laughs> I, um, I am a physical therapist here in Bozeman, and I also coach uh, running, coach mm-hmm. ultramarathon running. And I got into that because I've been an ultramarathon racer, professional racer, for almost two decades. And that's kind of what I do. <laughs> 
So in, in the ultra marathon running world, when you say Nikki Kimball, people are like, oh, <gasps> Nikki Kimball? And, and I feel like, so Nikki is a very accomplished <laughs> ultra marathoner for those of you who don't know who Nikki is. So we are very, very fortunate to have her here on the podcast. Um, so how did you get into ultra running? Because back then it seemed like it's not as popular as it is now. No, I don't think it is, but I think <laughs> or it was. Um, but there, there were still, a, you know, a boatload of us. I mean, there yeah. were thousands of us yeah. who absolutely loved this sport. Um, mm-hmm. And we, you know, there wasn't much money in it or anything like that. It wasn't mm-hmm. very popular. But um, I think a lot of cross-country skiers come into it sort of organically because the training we do for cross-country skiing is essentially ultra-marathon training, yeah. um, which is kind of funny because we the women don't get to race very far. <laughs> the longest they can do is 30K at the Olympics. It's pretty pathetic. Yeah. But um, regardless, we always trained with the guys anyway, so mm-hmm. um, we would do these four, five-hour run, hike things in the woods. And so I was kind of doing it anyway. Mm-hmm. And in graduate school, I raced a lot of 5Ks, 10Ks, half marathons, marathons, just kind of wherever because I had a, a – team a store team that sponsored me and they'd pay all my race entry fees and so I just go do fun things and um and it just like it sort of saved me through grad school because it gave me this other thing besides studying all the time and it made me sort of mentally clearer um but I I just <laughs> I don't know where to go with that. It. I just loved it. I mean, I'm just <laughs> like running makes me happy. I just, yeah. It just makes sense to go out and run and run and run. And so, yeah, at the time it wasn't super, it wasn't mainstream popular, but those of us who did it, loved it. Yeah. Did it all the time. Yeah. So you grew up Nordic skiing? Yes. In high school? High school. Okay. Where did Since you grow I could walk. <laughs> I grew up in a town called Chittenden in Vermont. It's just okay. a south central uh, Vermont town. And mm-hmm. I grew up skiing. My brother was four years older, mm-hmm. so he was a skier. Mm-hmm. And um, the Bill Coke Youth Ski League is this big big thing then I don't know if it's it still is but um but there would be these races for kids uh-huh. and um and because you know I mean the kids who would be racing you know from eight years old on they kind of knew what they were doing but they had to do something for like the little brothers yeah. and sisters so they'd have these races they called lollipop races because you'd get a lollipop at the end and you might go a hundred meters Maybe yeah. holding your parents' hand, but I believe I was three when I first did that. <laughs> I basically learned how to ski and walk at the same time, I'm sure. Yeah. And, um, so, yeah. I mean, I just don't remember life without competition and without endurance sports. Yeah. Yeah. And then did you race in college? And I raced at Williams College. Okay. Uh, so all four years. Mm-hmm. Um, so Division One racing. Then um, partway through college, I decided to switch to biathlon. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Um, so my senior year, I, well, I had to keep my rifle at a professor's house because they weren't too keen on having <laughs> rifles on campus. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and so I raced a couple of years in, in biathlon hoping for the 98 Olympics, and I raced through 94. Oh, wow. So how is um, biathlon different from cross-country skiing, like endurance-wise? What do you um, think? Similar, really yeah. similar. I mean, it's just adding this sort of cognitive piece to yeah. it um i mean to go from skiing as hard as you can to shooting clean for mm-hmm. you know five rounds is um it, it just requires 
a whole different skill set of, yeah. of patience and humility and and cognition. I mean, looking at where the wind is and deciding what um, you know how to change your sights on your rifle. Um, but it's you know that's just a it's just an extra layer, mm-hmm. um, and I loved that. Do you feel like um, that has influenced your ultra racing at all? That like part of it. Probably not a ton. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it, it. I think the calmness mm-hmm. needed to do well in biathlon and the humility is super helpful. So those two things are good because if you're racing 100 miles, something is going to go wrong mm-hmm. and running. It doesn't, like, you just, you don't have perfect races when you're beyond 20 hours. Yeah. You just don't. And so having, you know, Biathlon does teach a bit of that um, sort of humility, but also ability to change with the changing situation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you might come into the range and the wind's coming from a completely different direction than it was when you when you sighted your rifle in and you have to deal with that. Mm-hmm. And similarly, an ultra marathon is very common that you come into um, an aid station and the bag of stuff that you wanted there isn't there or your crew isn't there or something that you Hmm. expected isn't there and so that ability to think during the race and make changes to your plan during the race um is definitely something it it is is common between um the uh, ultra running and biathlon cool so then you when you say graduate school do you mean physical therapy yes okay cool and so how did you get into running there? Because it sounds like that's where the transition went into ultra running. Is that right? Yes. Or where the transition into competitive, competitive running. running. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Because I, through 94, I was ski racer, mm-hmm. um, which is sort of a different body type also. Yeah. Um, like more, mus- more muscular, muscular and a lot more upper body mass. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, through 94, um, ski racing was the only thing I really wanted to do and I also was kind of um I hadn't raced anything long in running mm-hmm. so I wasn't very and I wasn't good <laughs> <laughs> yeah I was fantastic for the middle of the pack <laughs> um so you know I I hadn't really realized that I that I had any ability in running because my ability's not in running it's in yeah. enduring and um <laughs> you've run so, some fast 5k's before <laughs> yeah but nothing that would get me on a no, <laughs> not even true, a that's college true. team <laughs> I was 15th on a D3 running team my freshman year at Williams, and and I always qualified for nationals in D1 skiing. I mean, there was definitely something I wasn't good at. Um, But then um, I actually, in 94, after a really successful year of biathlon, Mm -hmm. you know, doing well at Olympic trials, I wasn't expecting to make the team because I couldn't shoot very well, Um, and um, did very well at nationals, and then I ended up getting very sick with depression, losing about 20 pounds, Mm -hmm. and I couldn't even run three miles. Like, I couldn't, I couldn't do anything. I was just sleeping, all I did. And when I went to grad school, I I came in with a completely different body. I mean, I had lost all my muscle, Mm -hmm. um, and really running, and I was in Philadelphia, so I'm like, what can I do? Yeah. So, running was the thing I could do, and this was way before um, most psychiatrists and counselors were thinking that exercise was important for running. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but I sort of knew it, you know, mm-hmm. I, I just knew that I could think better. I could 
function better. I could all of those things, everything better mm-hmm. when I'm um, when I'm exercising. Mm-hmm. And so it was sort of natural for me to just my my daily dose of endorphins that is just critical to me even uh, having normal brain function um, you know would be like I'd have to run an hour a day just to stay sane Yeah. so um, then I went to graduate school (laughs) like I'm in Philadelphia and I go and do this 5k road race and I win it and I'm like what the heck I am not a runner (laughs) this is crazy and then the store team picks me up and um, and then we just started running longer and longer and more and more trails and um, you know so it, it wasn't something I I never set out to be a good ultra marathon runner. It just sort of, it, it just was what I did anyway. And then I realized it was a sport. Yeah. yeah. That's a really cool story. Awesome. Um, so what's the, what was ultra running like when you started and how is it different now? Cause I mean, how long ago was it when you started? I started in 99, 99. So okay. 20 so 20 years. years ago. Yeah. Um, it was uh, still very, very competitive at the top. Yeah. Um, but the t- fields were not as deep. Yeah. Um, and there wasn't, um, you know, it was never talked about in runner's world. I don't think runner's world even knew what ultra running really was. Yeah. Um, and it didn't really need to. It's a great magazine. But but it was, way, like, runner's world is for sort of mainstream runners and, and getting people into running, and it's fantastic for that. But ultra running was never something that would even be considered in, mm-hmm. you know, for their audience. Yeah. Um, and I think that's really telling. Now they, you know, now they talk about ultra running and, yeah. and that kind of stuff. And, and ultra running is now becoming appealing to your general public. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, it's, it's just not something that's freaky anymore because it's so in the running media and yeah. so obvious in the running media. And, um, so that's a big part of it. I, you know, it's part of me wants to go back to the old ways where you raced and you had only water at the aid stations and, <laughs> um, you know, and the aid stations might be two hours apart and, um, mm-hmm. you know, and you, and you want a belt buckle after you set a world record in a, you know, something, it was <laughs> great. Um, not that I ever set any world records, but, um, that's the trail runner part of me, but, um, but that, um, that that was kind of nice. It just wasn't um, it wasn't very commercial, but yeah. and now it is more so. But I'm also part of that. I mean, yeah. I was in films about running, several films about running. I was promoting, you know, Nike North Face Hoka, whichever sponsor I had at the time, and um, you know, kind of using my run, running to um, to promote basic health and fitness things. And you know, I mean, it just. I mean, I definitely was heavily involved in Mm -hmm. media surrounding running so the increase of of popularity of running I'm not innocent in that (laughs) oh I think it's awesome like I I think it's really great because not everybody's going to be fast in a 5k and some people are really good it's completely different it's completely being fast in a 5k is completely different than running 100 miles yeah totally different and some people are really good at it and some people are not and some people the accomplishment of running just running 50 miles or 18 miles or whatever will get them through get them on a high for a whole year I mean the fact that they can do that so I think that's amazing and it'll get them training for a whole year which makes them healthier yes you know in an in a in an age in which sedentary lifestyles are biggest killer mm-hmm. um, or contributes to it anyway, we we really need to make 
um, sports mainstream. Mm-hmm. And running is so easy, and it's something we don't need. We don't need special equipment for. You can do it on any budget, um, I mean, and you can still compete in it. And you can, st- yeah. You although that's that, getting expensive. Yeah, in it's getting expensive. <laughs> but I mean, it's like you can't. Like if you were a baseball player. You can't just go play baseball games right. a lot of the time. But if you're a runner, you can always say, I'm going to sign up for X race and train for X race. Yes. And so when it's you're an adult. perfect life st- lifetime sport. Yeah. And and you can do it if you're running, you know, if you're running team, if you, let's say you, you want to do stuff with people, your running team doesn't show up for a workout. You can do that workout on your own. Right. You know, it, yeah. you can be as social or isolated as you want to be. And mm-hmm. I think runners know that, you know, sometimes. Sometimes, you know, you and I are both physical therapists. Sometimes we have a whole day of patients. Mm-hmm. We want to go out and run five, ten, whatever miles by ourselves because we're just we need that break and, and not talk and not talk because <laughs> exactly. we talk all day. Yeah, exactly. And then other times, you know, you want to go out with a group of ten people and just, mm-hmm. you know, just chat the whole way. And I swear that if. If political leaders could do all of their work while running, <laughs> things would actually work. Mm-hmm. I mean, because I, I swear every, you know, every long run you go on, somebody comes up with an idea that just, you know, seems brilliant. <laughs> yeah. And you get to talk to people who believe different things and have actual conversations with people because there's nothing else to do. Right. You're out in the woods for four hours. Right. And that's who you're with and you can yep. talk about stuff and you're not checking your phone and no I think it's yeah. great yeah and it's something that's so foreign to us in modern times correct you know we're always sort of plugged in and we're always hanging out with only others like us and running sort of takes all that away yeah I, I really like that and I think you know even you know when I get postpartum women in here and they want to run a 5k after they've had a baby and they're like well I'm not really a competitive runner I just I really want to run this 5k and I'm like that is awesome what's your I really want to run it in under 30 minutes well that's such a great goal like let's do that and it's attainable and it's great and it gives people a goal of something to do right it doesn't have to be 100 miles you know like it doesn't which is so cool such a beautiful thing about running Mm -hmm. you know and it's and, and I love about ultra and running in general is that Um, different variations on running Mm -hmm. are becoming popular, whether it's Spartan racing or color runs or, you know, like none of those events is, is going to attract every person, but it's going to attract somebody. Mm -hmm. And if somebody gets hooked because they like having paintballs thrown at them, like great. Like that, that, if that keeps that person from getting type two diabetes, I mean, it's the cheapest medicine we can buy. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. And I think that that's why it's so awesome being a physical therapist, because we know how important exercise is and getting people back to that. So, like, they don't die and they don't get type 2 diabetes and they don't get heart disease. Right. And we're not rehabbing their total knee replacements due be- because of obesity. Right. You know, I mean, if they have a total knee replacement, it's because they earned it. Um. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think it's it's so great um, just to be able to have, you know, running become more mainstream so it's more accepted and people are really excited about it. I mean, when you go to marathons and you see people of all shapes and sizes right. completing marathons, I it's think it's so cool. And it's so different from what it was 20 years ago. 
Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, marathons didn't kind of, inc- they certainly didn't encourage and often didn't allow people to finish a marathon in six hours or more. Mm-hmm. And now we've got that. I mean, yeah. and, and there just has to be a place in athletics for all adults. Mm-hmm. Um, because if this is the way we are going to stay healthy in a world that is more and more sedentary, um, then we need to make it fun mm-hmm. because otherwise it's not going to be sustainable for yeah. most people. And, um, you know, and we also need to, um, to have resources out there for people to do these sports. And I, I just keep seeing more and more emphasis on building trails and on making shoulders on roads so that people can safely bike or run or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think the more these sports grow, the more people demand from their local government that we have trails and that we have safe places to work out um, and play and do all those things that are just going to save us money in the end because we're all healthier. Yeah. No, I think it's great. Um, so let's talk about how has um, being a physical therapist impacted your career? <laughs> probably for the better and for worse. You probably yeah. like me yeah. overanalyze everything. Right, exactly. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm sure you remember when you're first a physical therapist and you're working in general orthopedics and you see people coming in and, and you know, in their, in their 60s and that's old to you because you're in your 20s. Mm-hmm. And, um, <laughs> and you're like, oh my gosh, I have all these things that are going to happen to me. <laughs> so you start yes. getting these ideas of things that happen with aging. Um, so that's a little, that's actually probably good, a little cautionary tale there, but, um, but it, it, um, for the first 18 years of my ultra running career, I never missed significant time from races from any running injury. I mean, the races that I missed were mostly from direct trauma because I, you know, fell off something. <laughs> you know, trail running's a little aggressive and I also yeah. mountain bike and dirt bike and ski race and do all that. So, you know, I definitely have had injuries, but they're usually direct trauma, not repetitive trauma. And I think PT has been the the biggest factor in that. I mean, also, I just have good genetics, mm-hmm. um, but but I could, you know, having treated every running injury there is, I could see when one was coming up, mm-hmm. and I think that helped a lot. Yeah. In a, like, oh, I've got this little twin. Oh, that's not just muscle soreness. That sounds more like, you know, IT a band, and oh, maybe I should have somebody look and see if my hip is strong or if, my, mm-hmm. if I'm overstriding or whatever. Um, and so I think, you know, running, one, injury is a huge deal in running, and prevention of an injury is so much more important than fixing it. I mean, mm-hmm. you just... You know, and, and PT has given me the patience for that. You know, like, okay, I know I need to take a week and be water running now mm-hmm. because I, I've worked with so many people who didn't do that and now they're out for four or five months. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't want do to do that. Do you see person. differences in injury? So, differences in injuries between ultra runners and like your recreational 5K or. Uh, yes and no. Uh-huh. Um, your recreational 5K are often, um, it's their first year running, and they're much more likely to get injured. Yeah. And injuries that are completely preventable mm-hmm. um, just because they, they just sort of get into it without any guidance. Mm-hmm. Um, ultra runners first of all, probably have the genetics that are, um, that allow them to run that long. Mm -hmm. So they're probably mechanically more, more ready to run ultras. Mm -hmm. Um, and then some of the ultra running injuries we see are just like, they can be really serious because we can, we can, I, I think once we're, we're out there racing, we 
to be successful, you have to be able to put pain in a little box or just sort of uh, deflect it. And you really don't, like when I was racing, I really didn't feel pain so much because I could just sort of play in my head with it. Mm-hmm. And so you can get people who, in ultra running, who will ha- go into a race with a stress fracture and it becomes a frank fracture. And I've seen that with several ultra runners. <laughs> and, you know, that's not your recreational 5K runner might get a stress fracture, but they're probably actually going to go seek help while it's still a stress fracture and not going to let the bone actually break in half. Um, but yeah. you know, so sometimes runners, ultra runners can be a little, um, aren't good at using pain as a guide. I think yeah. your, your recreational 5k runner is going to come into you when their knee starts hurting or their ankle starts hurting and they're gonna be like, Hey, something funky here. And so, um, so I think those recreational 5k runners are much more likely to get injured, but their injury is also going to be much easier to manage. Yeah. And ultra runners, we're all at. I mean, most of us, I think, are addicts um, to yeah. the sport and to running and to exercise. And, um, you know, I, I just know how tempted I am to run if injured, you know, because I have to work out or I'm just staring mm-hmm. at the wall being brain dead. I mean, I really, like, without... Uh, you know, at least a few times a week mm-hmm. infusion of endorphins, I don't function. And I think yeah. a lot of our ultra runners are that way. And we can, so, so we basically go until something's really bad. <laughs> when, if, if we're talking about, so I'm always interested in like the mental aspect of pain. So do you, so when you were like racing in your, you know, cross country racing biathlon you're like super anaerobic like you got to get over that governor in your head that says slow down yes right so that sort of mental capacity for pain versus i'm on mile 90 i have pain everywhere it seems like a different type of pain do you classify those as a different type of pain in your head or are they kind of the same um, I think in my head they're the same or similar. Mm-hmm. Um, in ski racing, I could always say, or in biathlon, well, I'm going to lie down at the end of this <laughs> kilometer <laughs> to take a bunch of shots. So, you know, you know that that pain is is there, but you, I think I dealt with it mentally by it's going to be over very quickly, and it always mm-hmm. was. Yeah. Um, so in, in that, it's somewhat different. But in uh, – so ultra running, you have uh, – less intense pain spread out for a lot longer period right. of time and so the so in st- so I don't get to say oh well it's going to be over soon because <laughs> now you have another four hours left um but but and I think that got me to the point where I would think of pain as this is just this neural sensation. It's nothing more than that. There is no reason to put any emotion into this sensation that's coming in. I mean, I think part of what gives pain its power is fear of pain. Mm-hmm. And um, in all in an ultra run, you have long enough, you're out there long enough to think. Um, that you have to deal with pain in a different way. And if I can just take its power away by saying, okay, I have a nerve signal telling me that my hip hurts or my knee hurts, but that's all it is. It's just a neural signal. And because I think the anesthetic uh, effect of the, of our chemical changes when we run, we can do it. I mean, I don't think I'm really um, tough about pain. Like if it's just, if we're just sitting here and, you know, somebody hits me, it's going to hurt just as much. But while I'm running, I can take so much more. And as long as you don't fear it, it's just way, way easier to tolerate. 
It's so interesting because it, it, like, when I hear you talk, there's such similarities to chronic pain and, like, what we know about chronic pain and how, as, like, PTs, we treat chronic pain where it's, like, you know, these are just neural sensations coming in. The brain controls it. The brain controls where you are, what you're doing. Do I need to get out of here? You know, and how we gradually increase people's exposure to certain things to get them out of chronic pain. Right. Right. So when I hear you talk, that's like exactly what I think of. Like you think about it as a neural sensation, not, you know, this emotional response that you have to like give into. Right. Right. And, you know, I think that ultra running can, um, can be a very good metaphor for life in many ways. And that's one of the ways. And I, I think that medicine, um, both physical medicine, physical therapy, plus um, medicine, like uh, human medicine, are um, starting to research ultra running, which is incredible. And I yeah. think I think we need to look at things like ultra running for managing chronic pain. Mm-hmm. We need to look at ultra running to see, um, you know, well, it doesn't have to be ultra running, any running, but I think we need to do more and more research to find, like, what is it that's benefiting here? Mm-hmm. Like, um, you know, if, 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 if we can, it's very, I would think it would be extraordinarily hard to thrive through chronic pain. I mean, we've both worked with so many people with chronic pain and it's really, really horrible. But if you can, you know, do do you just give up? I mean, there's no, we don't have like a pill for it. We don't have, we don't have any, anything that will just kind of get rid of it right away. Mm -hmm. Nothing. And so, um, so we have to be able to manage it. And I think ultra running is about managing stuff. And so maybe somebody in medicine finds out what, you know, what factors allow us to thrive despite that pain and to set, you know, and to win the race despite the pain that we're in. And, um, and, and certainly there's a lot of uh, research out there on mental health. What is it? Mm-hmm. You know, we know there you know, six or eight different things that we're changing when we're running that might affect our cognition and mental state. Like, you know, what is it? We don't really know. Mm-hmm. Um, but we know something about running is lessening the effects of um, depression and other mental illnesses. And we know that it's lessening the effects of some pains. So I, I, it's just this brilliant area of, of untapped research, you know, I mean, there's or research opportunity. I mean, there's yeah. so much out there and it's very much in its infancy. Um, but you are seeing people being serious about running medicine now. Yeah. It's really interesting when I hear you say manage the pain, because that's like when I have conversations with my patients that have had chronic pain yeah. for years, I, you know, have a conversation of like, this is chronic. We are going to manage it. You are going to have flare ups and you're going to manage it and it's going to get better. But at some point you're going to have a flare up and it's going to be okay. And so when you think about managing versus curing, it's, I guess, very similar to ultra running. Like it is, I'm in mile 80. I'm going to manage this. Right. Because I've got to finish it. Right. And it's going to flare up and I'm going to manage it and it's going to get better. Yes, exactly. And, um, you know, I, I think this is where, um, where all types of medicine need to come together. I mean, it's, it's neuro, it's psych, it's, uh, mechanics, it's all of those things. Um, Mm -hmm. because how else are we going to let people live quality lives Mm -hmm. with 
um, with chronic pain or mental illness, any of those kinds of things. And ultra running is a sort of microcosm. <laughs> like it's like, a, yeah. you know, like your whole, you know, it's, 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 it's like a lifetime in, yeah. ultra, in you know, 100 mile race. And so it, I think there, there are, uh, really, they're, they're really important pieces of information in there that can be applied to our world in general. Yeah, that's so interesting. Okay, so the next thing I want to talk about is gender equity in ultra running or running in general. Um, both, you know, prize money sponsorship, but also physiologically. So, which one do you want to start with first? <laughs> let's go with prize money and sponsorship. Okay, well, let's go with prize money and sponsorship. I might as well get myself fired up. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so t- just talk about it because I know you're an, a very good advocate for women and gender equity, and this is a problem in many sports. So, let's talk about the problem in ultra running. It is. It is a, a problem in, in many sports. Um, and I must say, on the good side, just to start this out on a good note, mm-hmm. the changes through my lifetime and how women are treated in sport have been amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, when I started racing in the 70s, you know, there were oftentimes, you know, races just for men or, um, you know, the men would get prize money and the women wouldn't get any. And that was really, really common. We just sort of expected that. And, you know, all through high school and college, and this still happens, unfortunately, you know, being a, a high level ski racer, the women we would race 5k when the men race 10k and you know that stuff is still happening but getting better mm-hmm. <laughs> hopefully sometimes that's changing um and sometime in the 2000 aughts you just really stopped seeing prize money be different um because it, it prize money is so transparent mm-hmm. and you know there were still a few holdout races that um that would prize the men and wouldn't prize the women um uh, and and in Europe that was very common which is kind of shocking to me but um m- many many races money for the men and you know something cute for the women and um <laughs> you know and, and but you know the, the gender fights for gender equity already had enough traction behind them to um you know to finally you know to get you know, to really call out race directors who didn't prize equally. And with the internet and with everything being really, with being able to get that information really easily from, you know, from your computer, mm-hmm. um, races, race directors would look really, really horrible at this point if they weren't prizing equally. And, and so the last 15 years has been pretty good that way. Mm-hmm. Then we have sponsorship, yeah. And um, most of our most of our contracts tell us, you know, we can't tell, we can't, we aren't supposed to talk about how much we're getting paid, and that's a brilliant strategy by the um, by the marketing people for, on these big companies that sponsor runners, because why pay a woman what she's worth when you can pay her? 12 times less mm-hmm. and and that's not an unreasonable that actually I have seen that in order of magnitude difference between males and females yeah um, why pay her that if you know if, if your customers when they go to buy that jacket don't know that 
you know, Sarah gets paid five thousand a year and Joe gets paid a ten thousand or a hundred thousand a year, why would we? Yeah, you know, um, why would they pay that? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's that's the next area to go um, is that, or you know, or to, to get down get down to and really dig into. Um, hopefully, the last one. There's still other subtle forms of sexism that happen, but this is still a major, major form of sexism that's happening. And um, and I've fought it all through my professional career. Mm-hmm. And um, and once I started trying to add up how much I would have made if I'd done the same thing as I did, but be a male. And once I realized that I would probably have a, an extra house in <laughs> the most expensive part of town, um, <laughs> I decided to stop torturing myself. Um, and you know, so, so so that has you know some sort of transparency there has to happen. But the other, the subtle s- stuff, uh, some athlete contracts give you bonuses for getting their logo in print media or on television or all of those things. We'll still look through the sports pages in any local paper, mm-hmm. and they're still often you know eight pictures of men compared to one picture of a woman or you know even if right. it's, even if it's tw- two men to each woman in the sports pages that's money we're not getting because you know you're not well, in the picture yep yep i won the race but the guy's winner gets in there and yeah. you still look at wikipedia you look at if you look up w- wikipedia or any of those race sites or or, or sorry you know any uh, wikipedia or sites of um running sites they'll often have um you know, they'll talk about a race and they'll say, you know, the course record is held by, and it's always the guy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so, well, no, I also have the course record. Right. But so then again, the the men get so much more promotion from media and all of that. And then that gets the, the sponsors thinking that they have a better return of, on investment from the men because the men are like, look, here's what, you know, here are all the newspaper articles I was in, magazine articles I was in. And that's you know i mean that there so those subtle or those more subtle types of sexism are are harder to fight mm-hmm. um and i think some of us are doing it um gina lacrisi is a um an ultra runner and um very very solid ultra runner but also really great um supporter of women's ultra running and has started a company called trail sisters that um that is huge and getting and, and just getting bigger and bigger and um, and it is for it is to address some of these issues and also address other physiological issues that women have to fight have to face um, but but this is I mean these things are happening it's just <laughs> not yeah. as fast as I'd like I know it's so hard I mean I feel like the same thing happens even with like small companies like I follow Wazel a lot yep. and like they've just had to like fight tooth and nail just to even like get you know, compared to Nike or something yep. like that, just to even get themselves like there and they're a running company for women. But, um, it's just no matter what, it seems like we're fighting an uphill battle. Yes, we are. And, you know, I remember just a few years ago, I was, um, I had a couple women runners I was treating and I was like, Oh, you know, we get into the talk about pride, about, about, uh, sponsorship money and I'm like well they've got to be doing better than I did and you know both of them were like yeah we're about 25% of what the men were I'm like well that's better than I did at my worst um, <laughs> <laughs> you know at least they're not getting one tenth but yeah, you know, still it's not okay yeah it's not okay and so what do you think we can do 
Um, I think we talk. We keep open dialogue. Mm-hmm. We support people like Gina who have trail sisters. Mm-hmm. We support brands like Wazelle who are trying to make a difference. Yeah. Um, and, um, and, and I think that each of us... Um, you know, each each female athlete is one cog mm-hmm. in the machine of getting female athletics taken seriously. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was a time when you know women weren't allowed to run a marathon because our uterus would fall out, which mm-hmm. makes a lot of sense um, <laughs> as a women's health specialist. <laughs> right? Um, <laughs> it's gross when it happens, but um, you know, but all this, you know. Like, each of us just does her part mm-hmm. to make it a little bit more fair. The unfortunate thing is each of us doing our part makes us less sponsorable. Because if I'm out there whining about right. sponsors treating me poorly versus my male counterparts, they're not going to want to sponsor me. But at this point, it doesn't matter because I'm past my professional career anyway. <laughs> um, but but I do know I probably you know could have been more um, quiet mm-hmm. and, you know tried to look cute and race that way and and, and, and probably that would have been better for sponsorship because um, you definitely notice that the women getting on covers of magazines it's not necessarily the fastest ones but they're always cute and that's not so much the case in the men's. I mean I'm sure men face it in some ways but I, I don't think that male sponsorship has as much to do with how they look mm-hmm. um, and if they're willing to put pictures of themselves in a sports bra as their profile picture on Facebook or whatever um so yeah it's just it's just a huge huge topic it is I know it brings me back to I I played tennis when I was younger and so it brings me back to a New York Times article a while ago on Venus Williams and uh Sharapova and it was just like how much more money she got right for being worse (laughs) for being not as good but she's pretty and I mean yeah. yeah, I'm sorry, it wasn't Venus, it was Serena or, Williams. Okay. Yeah. Well, either one. Serena and Williams, it, you know. obviously. Yeah. And, but that, I mean, that sort of Sharpova thing happens everywhere. Yeah. You know, when I just, yeah. Uh, yeah. So let's, um, let's talk about physiology. Yeah. When are, when are the women going to beat the men? The women beat the men. <laughs> when do the women when beat the men? When the race is long and uh, difficult and has really bad conditions. Like, I, you know, men do have a physiological advantage. Yeah. They absolutely do. And we need to have separate... I mean, that's why we need a men's race and a women's race. Yeah. Because they absolutely have a huge physiological uh, advantage. However, when stuff gets bad, mm-hmm. women thrive. I, it's so cool to see. I mean, I happen... You know, I know that if I'm in the last 10 miles of a 100-mile race and I come upon a guy... I'm going to beat him. If I come upon huh. a woman, it's on, <laughs> you know, and that's not just because we're competing against each other. It's yeah. because, um, women just, I, I, and I see this in my practice as well with another biological difference is we do tolerate pain better. Um, and so, you know, and, and is that biologically something that happens so that we can survive childbirth? You know, right. I don't know, but women, but I, but I think it is a real thing. Like I think that, pain probably hurts more for a guy than for a woman on average and that's totally on average right but um women just 
push themselves so they're just able to push through so much yeah um so you know that all the times i've been in a national or world-class event that i've been on the men's podium which has been three times it's been bad conditions um you know one of the hottest years at western states i was third out of the men and you know there were a lot of men there who could have beaten me but they you know, it's super hot and they're just dropping like flies and the women are just kind of like, da da da, we're fine. Yeah. Um, and, you know, so there's got to be, you know, something going on there. Um, mm-hmm. And how much of it is so is, is social construction and how much of it is biology and how much of it is psychology and, you know, all of these things playing a, a role. Um, I do know that we do relatively better to the men when, when things get tough. Hmm. It's like grit. Yeah. I wonder if it, I'm just thinking about, since I'm a women's health PT, like sleep deprivation, I wonder if women deal with that better than men do just because of, we have to, when we have newborns. Right. I mean, same thing with pain. Like you have to deal with it during childbirth. Like, right. And whether we have kids or not, we have that biology, you know, we still have those genetics to say, you know, you have, I mean, how, how would humans continue to be continue how would right. we evolve how would any of that happen if women couldn't go nights without sleep and and right. have very very painful pregnancies and very well deliveries and right. um and then come back from the aftermath of delivering a baby which is just you know it's, it's, yeah. it's like it's just something that doesn't happen in any other part of our lives right you don't just go and rip tissue yeah you know? <laughs> like, men don't experience that no um, I haven't experienced that um, <laughs> and I'm not sad to have missed that part. Um, but but yes we have to be able to do that and and it would make sense evolutionarily that that we have some you know women have some capability to withstand and thrive through pain that that men may not have as much access to and we also have to forget about it and do it again right that's the other thing (laughs) (laughs) and I I often wonder that I'm like gosh we just forget about that so quickly like with childbirth yep it's like in a couple days or a week you know you forget about the pain and I often wonder that with like you know, well, racing, racing, like the same. Mm-hmm. You just forget about it. You're yep. like, oh, I forgot how much that hurt. Right. And you remember that at miles something in the race, and you're like, while you're racing, you're like, why did I sign up for this again? But right. you keep doing it. Yeah. Um, and that's regardless of of sex. Yeah. Um, because we all we all feel it, mm-hmm. um, and we all come back and do it again. Yeah. Like there's something greater about running and racing than there is about pain. Yeah. So, yeah. So interesting. It is so interesting. Do you feel like um, physiologically in the last 20 years, like women have made incremental gains as far as like ultra running or you feel like it's always been like the popular, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, I think um, women, no, I don't think physiologically we really have changed. Um, But I think that and this goes across for men and women, is that there's just more people doing doing the sport. So um, so we are, with greater numbers, we're going to have more fast people. Mm-hmm. And those more fast people are going to teach 
other the ones who come behind them and like, like records always fall right like mm-hmm. why did nobody run a four minute mile until Roger Bannister did and then everyone starts running well not everyone but yeah. and many many elite men were running four minute sub four minute miles yeah it wasn't that he was physiologically different mm-hmm. he was just the one to be able to say, no, that's not a barrier. Right. You know, and I think that every time one of us breaks a record, it gives the person behind us that confidence that that is no, that, you know, if, if the course record used to be 20 hours and, and now it's 19, well, now we know we can break 20 hours. Yeah. And then, so everybody comes to, I mean, I think there's such a huge mental component to this Mm -hmm. Um, because we, we certainly don't evolve that quickly. Yeah. Um, And granted, there's so much more media attention and, and, and money. I mean, like people are now guys are making a livable wage. A few of them, (laughs) um, you know, from running maybe a couple, maybe some women are, I don't, I don't know. I don't think so. Um, but, but we're starting to see, you know, we're, we're starting to get a lot of gain. And also, you know, my generation of ultra runners, uh, the women were all, we all had to work full time because we weren't getting paid Uh, or we weren't getting paid well. And so, you know, I, I think the, the, the course records going down and people getting faster, that's just a natural evolution that happens in every sport. Mm-hmm. I mean, the science behind it gets better. The training gets better. The food gets better. Yeah. You know, I mean, people, I, I remember some, uh, one year, this guy writing, Oh, my time at Western States would have won in 1970, whatever. And I'm like, let's talk apples to apples <laughs> in 1970. You would have been in a, you know, canvas shoe <laughs> and you might've had a potato chip and a couple bottles of water. Yeah. <laughs> like there, you know, I mean, I, I that, that I find that very frustrating. I, yeah. I do think that each generation is, it's still going to be the same qualities that bring those top people up. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, and, and we do build, like I wouldn't have run the times I did had people not done um, similar things before me. I yeah. mean, I wouldn't have even known that that was something to go for. And mm-hmm. so each of us who publicizes the sport and who does good things in the sport makes it easier for the person coming up behind him or her. Yeah. How long does it take for an ultra runner to peak? Like how many years? Yeah. Um, that's a really good question. <laughs> um, and I think, you know, honestly, the science isn't there. Yeah. It just isn't. Um, I mean, we, you know, we, evidence-based practice for us physical therapists is so, so important. How do I do evidence-based practice on somebody who's an ultra runner? Right. Like, you know, I, you know, I try to extrapolate from studies done on a marathoner. Yeah, maybe, but there are not even that many studies on those folks. Yeah. So, you know, I, I really don't know that we know that, but I do know a couple things. One is that people tend to have a race career of somewhere between like three and 10 years where they're really, really good, but they don't seem to have much longer than that. Like, like there's a a steep drop off in speed at some point. Mm -hmm. And is that mental? Is that physical? You know, I don't know because I don't, I'm not sure that it, how well, how linked it is to actual chronological age. Mm -hmm. You know, you might fly in your twenties and then by 31, you're kind of done. Yeah. Um, or your, your, your best 10 years might be 40 to 50. Mm -hmm. Like it, it seems that, that there's some equation out there between age miles on your body and, you know, hard races run Mm -hmm. and length of duration of your running career that, 
that would sort of point to you know yeah. when you might be best. Yeah. Um, but I've seen you know I peaked at thirty six. Yeah. Um, I've seen people peak in their forties. I've yeah. seen people peak young. Um, you know, so it's all these n of one <laughs> yeah. groups. I mean, it's really I I'd love to know more about it. Um, but it's just so multifactorial. How would we ever study it? Right. <laughs> you yeah. Know? And everybody has different backgrounds in high yep. school and college. And right. Right. So this would be a great transition to talk to you about hard rock this year. Yeah. Um, so talk to us about hard rock. Um, for those of you who don't know, so Nikki came in second, right? Yeah. And and we were all cheering her on, like on irunfar.com. And um, so just tell us about that, your age, and how that yeah. impacted you. Yeah, Hard Rock was amazing. Um, so Hard Rock 100 is something that was easy, a race that was easy to get to into in the 90s. <laughs> and now is so popular that, um, you know, thousands of people apply for 140-something spots. Um, so anyway, I've tried to get into it for years, and I finally got in, and... Um, you know, I, I knew that at my peak, I would run that course really, really well. It was really made for me. It's mm-hmm. super, it was really high altitude. Um, you know, you're going over many peaks over 13,000 feet. You're not getting below 10,000 feet very often. I mean, it's just, it's just fantastic. And it's exposed and it's uh, rocky and it's gnarly and it's just uh, steep and fun and yeah. 31,000, 33,000 feet of gain and 100 miles. It's awesome. Um, <laughs> So, <laughs> so part of me really wanted to run it when I was younger and really, really strong um, yeah. because I'm hours slower in a hundred mile race than I used to be. I mean, hours. Yeah. Um, so, um, so for this race, you know, I finally get in, I know I'm not at my best. I'd also been battling an injury from a snowshoe race that really, that finally took me out later mm-hmm. in the year. Um, but, um, I had actually been training for about four months because of this injury. It had sort of taken me out for a while. And um, I had four months of really fantastic training going into that. So not a lot, but I still had, mm-hmm. you know, 30 years of competition to go back on or 40 years, actually, of competition to go back and fall back on. So, you know, so I get there and I know I'm not at my best. But mm-hmm. I also know that two of the other top women in the race are also in their 40s. And, you know, none of we're all way past our prime. Yeah. Um, and one person who was, who was young, um, who, you know, who won it, you know, she's like, oh, she's 20 years younger than me. <laughs> <laughs> like, you're like, she better be able to beat me. Um, so anyway, um, there was, so, so it was just this, magical race where we just start you know you're just running along talking to people because that's a big part I mean ultra marathon culture is amazing Mm -hmm. and it is shifting with the influx of money and influx of people self-promoting on um on social media that stuff's really really frustrating but 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 hard rock the the spirit of hard rock is very much in that old school ultra running we all want to get it to the finish I mean yes we're going to compete against each other but we're also really supportive of each other um and and we are having a few people in the sport who aren't supportive of their competitors and that's Mm -hmm. really really sad but um but at hard rock i ended up you know in this group of people one who was a pt a pre-pt student of mine oh my god so he and i along with the um with darla um 
ask you, was it Darla ask you and somebody, a couple other people um, ended up in this group, in the six person group. And uh, Jeff was my student. He and I were having a competition to see who could tell the most bad jokes. <laughs> and so that was really fun. And um, this is the first like 20 miles. We're just kind of like chill and having fun. And you, you do things like talk and tell horrible jokes because it makes the time go. Cause you can't race for all 30 hours. You're yeah. going to race for the last couple. Um, so, so that just sort of having that community around me just made me happy. Um, and then I was, um, running, I was running well, you know, running up towards the front and I had a bit of an explosion going <laughs> like, I just, you know, you have really bad patches and, um, and I had this massive just meltdown after one aid station. I just kind of walking up through the woods and frustrated. And I know, and all I'm thinking is, even five years ago, I would be, you know, I'd be four miles ahead of where I am right now. And it's only mile 20 or whatever, you know, like just, it was really yeah. hard. And I've been dealing with the slowdown for at least eight years mm-hmm. at this point. And I, I just lay, laid down in the middle, you know, like mile 29, I just laid down in the woods where nobody could see me and just sort of thought about age and, um, and, and really had this sort of, um, amazing epiphany of like, I was just, I mean, I laid there for like 15 minutes. I have never something, I don't know, but just thinking about, you know, why, why am I expecting myself to still be on the podium for the men in all these races when these men are now 20 years younger than me? And, um, you know, this is like, like I am asking my body to be what it was when I was 30 mm-hmm. and when I was, you know, in my mid thirties and I'm 47. <laughs> like I, it was, it was amazing to finally, after fighting and fighting and just being like, why am I slowing down? This is so frustrating. I'm training just as hard mm-hmm. and I'm getting slower. And now the sport's popular and people are winning with times that were easy for me at one point <laughs> in my life. And, um, and, and this is, you know, just that sort of sour grapes of, uh, and it finally sort of occurred to me that, you know, during, in this little part of the race, and this is what ultra running does, is it pushes you so far that you have to think beyond the way you would think in normal situations. Mm-hmm. And it finally sort of dawned on me, I mean, this should have come me more easily than this, but um, that I should be celebrating what my body can do mm-hmm. instead of what it can't. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm 47 and still running, you know, a 100-mile race with 30,000 feet of gain and being on the podium. Yeah. Like that's huge. And I'm doing it with somebody with, with, you know, people I've run with my whole life and mm-hmm. with people who, um, with, uh, with, you know, with a, with a former student of mine who is now just graduating PT school mm-hmm. and he actually ended up second for the men. So we ended up sharing the same no, podium spot cool. and, you know, he's 20 years younger than me. And, um, you know, it just, made me think about what's important in ultra running and really what drew me to it is that I love running in the woods and that I love the mental clarity that comes with running and um and I love the community of people who do this sport mm-hmm. and you know like sort of getting back to that despite a massive slowdown in my pay in my racing um was was critical and it's something that I've just been fighting I've been fighting a against my body changing rather than sort of managing it. Like we talk about managing chronic pain, managing depression, managing these things. 
we have to manage our aging. Mm-hmm. And instead, I'm just, you know, I was totally, no, my body doesn't obey the laws of physiology. I'm not aging. Da, 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 da. And But you know what? I am. And yeah. I have to give myself a little permission to do that. Mm-hmm. So hard rock really, really gave me that mm-hmm. back. I mean, yes, I was probably five hours slower than I would have run it when I was 35. Yeah. But I should be. Mm-hmm. I'm 47 and I have 90,000 miles on my body. Like, I, I shouldn't be fast anymore. Yeah. And you still came in second. And I still came in second. <laughs> so did great. you go faster? Like, well, was it like this epiphany and then you're like, I can just do this? Yeah, kind of. Yeah. Um, and yeah, because I had, you know, been caught by a bunch of people and I was just like, and then I just sort of gave up the results. Yeah. Like, no. This is hard rock. Yeah. Like, this is the race people sell their soul to get into. Like, this is, this is, I'm here in the most beautiful mountains. The San Juan Mountains are stunning. I am having this catered 100-mile trek through this beautiful country with amazing people. Like, why, you know, that's what it is. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, winning races is cool and that's fun and it's great, you know, like it's a huge ego boost and all of that. But it's pretty shallow. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, and it's fleeting. Like, you might win now. It doesn't mean you're going to win the next time. I mean, it just, um, you know, there has to be something much, much bigger than results to get you to, 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 get you to do the sport. Mm-hmm. And I think giving up any care of where I finished and just being like, you will finish this. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a gift to be able to get into this race. And unless you're injured, you better finish. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I... Um, but it was it was just a good sort of cap to my running career. Yeah. yeah. It almost seems like that's almost a gift of aging because maybe you couldn't think like that when you were 35 and you did have another race, you know? Right. Like, I could never... I always did have the next thing. And now right. you're like, I can just do this for fun. Right. That's and I really can cool. coach other people. Yeah. And coach them in a way where I keep them, where I, you know, my attempt to yeah. keep my, you know, use my physiology, my, my, my physical therapy knowledge and get people, yeah. make them, you know, you know, help them to run without injury or to get any injury that comes up. We treat it immediately. Mm-hmm. We immediately manage it. We don't, you know, um, we don't just, you know, run somebody into the ground and there's, you know, so many people coaching and there's no oversight in coaching, mm-hmm. you know, who have, who maybe took a three day course and have a certification, um, you know, that does not make them a knowledgeable coach. Um, and, and we're seeing that all the time. And so I like sort of, I, I love that I get to coach and I usually, I keep about eight clients at a time because I don't want more than that because then I can't, take care of them. I can't Mm -hmm. help them. And I I want people to love running and I want it to be, um, I want it to be healthy. And and, in a lot of the people I work with use running as part of their mental health Mm -hmm. treatment plan. And if you're treating depression with running and you have an injury, it's disastrous. I mean, it's, you know, you could die. And, um, so, you know, keeping people running healthy is my new thing. You know, like that's my, you know, it's like, okay, yeah, it was great to, you know, be the best ultra runner in the trail ultra runner in the world for a while. That was awesome. That was really fun. It was great. (laughs) Um, but, um, you know, but now, um, it's, 
you know, now it's more about like what running's really about and what mm-hmm. it always has been about, but I probably lost sight of mm-hmm. when, you know, traveling the world and, you know, and, and winning stuff. <laughs> yeah. Like, so let's talk about your coaching because I think it would be pretty cool to be coached <laughs> by a world champion. So why don't you talk? Well, not to, technically a world not champion. Not technically. <laughs> okay. We're not, not technically. One of the best in the world. Yeah. How is that? Yeah. <laughs> um, so tell us about your coaching and what you do and so how you if get I coach, clients. Yeah, if I coach people locally, I mean, it, you know, I've sort of just starting. Um, I've, I've taken people under my wing my entire running career um, and sort of coached without coaching, yeah. <laughs> you know. Um, and now if I coach people locally, it's amazing because I actually get my hands on them. Mm-hmm. You know, I can do a, a screen of their, where are they tight? Where are they strong? Where are they weak? Where are they loose? Where, you know, is there something funky going on with their running? Has somebody tried to change their running gait? Because that usually messes stuff up because you have all these people who, you know, went to a chi running course and think they know biomechanics. Right. And, um, and usually massive changes to people's gait gets them injured. Um, so I just like being the person who can, who runners can come to mm-hmm. for physical therapy and for coaching who can hopefully do a better job of predicting and avoiding injury. Yeah. Um, and I've treated runners for 20 years as a physical therapist. I mean, that's mm-hmm. that like, again, because our evidence isn't great, we have to combine, um, biomechanical knowledge with um, physical therapy evidence on sports that might be similar and on our experience. Yeah. I mean, I can't, I just look back to the 1990s. I'm like, how the heck did anyone I treat get better? You know, like it was luck. Cause you know, I, I think of all the mistakes I made in my first and I'm still making mistakes, but the, 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 the horrible mistakes. I would make things I would miss in my first 10 years of treating runners. Mm-hmm. I mean, you just, I, I mean, I think that's what, what I can offer in coaching is something mm-hmm. that's just well beyond what, you know, your person who, um, never studied uh, physiology or mechanics yeah. or something. And I, and, and, and there are some people who are self-taught coaches who are very, very good, but they mm-hmm. have to, um, you know, they, they have a lot to catch up on. And do you coach remotely too? And I ever do. work with like physical therapists remotely? Like yes. you do the screen, tell me what you found. I'll do the coaching. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. And I think that's critical. Yeah. Um, but the hard thing is knowing who the physical therapist is in yes. that area. Yeah. And I almost think, you know, because all of my clients, I, mean, I, have a, I have a Bozeman client right now whose wife is on sabbatical from the MSU. So he's mm-hmm. traveling around. So when he's in another place, like who do I send him to for PT? Right. And, and I don't insist. I, I mean, I, I need hands on the people I, I, who I coach if I can, like, I want to know how they're doing, but I certainly don't ins- insist that they use me as a physical therapist right, because I right. guess referral for profit. And I don't, I'm not okay with that. Yeah. Um, and there are fantastic running PTs in town. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I've got great people to send my people to, and sometimes they come to me often they do. And that's great too. Um, but if I'm missing something, I want to call in another yeah. therapist because why not? Why not mm-hmm. use that knowledge that's there? Um, so really what I found is the best thing I, the best, the, the, 
the best thing I've come up with with getting working with a PT if I don't know the area mm-hmm. is having the athlete go to the running store, the oh, running yeah. specialty store, and say, who's good here? Yeah. Um, not to say that that's always going to give you the best result, but um, you want to go to a therapist who has seen runners, who's worked with runners, um, mm-hmm. because it's just a different skill. I mean, you're not going to come to me for neck pain because I know just enough right. to give you, you know, really be a problem. Um, so... You know, so I think that can help. And then, um, you know, people, runner, physical therapists who specialize with run, on treating runners, we're super geeky about it. And we love when our patient comes and says, hey, can you talk to my coach? She's also a PT right. or ex-phys, I mean, oftentimes, or a physiologist. I mean, you know, like what I, what you know, my, my strength in, in biomechanics, I also have a weakness in physiology because we don't study it as much. Right. Um, so it's great to be able to talk. You know, if one of my patients says, hey, I want you to talk to my coach, and they, you know, sign their release, it's fun to talk to their coach and be like, mm-hmm. hey, and you just, you know, the coach is going to see something different than the PT is, and, yeah. you know, and you really work together. I love that part of it. Oh, yeah. I'm Even even with me, when I have, you know, women who come to me that leak when they run, mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm really good at making you not leak when you run, <laughs> maybe making you not have prolapse symptoms when you run. I'm not your performance coach. Like you go see right. X person, X person, X person, Absolutely. and they're going to like dork out on the stride and you know, the form and everything. Right. But I can help your pelvic floor when you're running. Exactly. <laughs> and that's why we specialize. Right. I was like, you know, you can geek out with running. Like I could go to so many courses and I don't have time to do that. It's no. not my forte, but these people are really good at it. And the thing is you're really good at women's health, pelvic floor stuff because it's what you do. Right. And you apply the geekiness of pelvic floor health that I apply to running. Mm-hmm. So of course, you know, yeah. of course I want my person with incontinence to see you and my person who's a runner to see me and the, you know, I mean, I, like, yeah, I think if we all shared, it would be, it would be so great because as, yeah. as you realize how much more you don't know, even yes. when I have an injury, I go see a PT, right? Like I'm not treating myself. The thing is we mess up so badly. When yeah. We I don't. And I don't do stuff. Right. <laughs> like I never do it. Yeah. So I but have, if your PT tells you to do it, my PT tells me to do it, I do it. And they do hands-on things that are just so different. And so right. I go see PTs all the time for right. my stuff because I'm really good at what I do and they're really good at their niche and what right. they do. And PT is such a huge field that you can't be good at everything. You can't. No. You can't. Well, so where can people find you <laughs> if they want coaching? Well, coaching... Or- um, Basically, um, <laughs> I you know it's I've always done it word of mouth, but it's Nikki Kimball at Yahoo okay. um, is the is sort of my public um, address that people can reach me at. Um, cool. Facebook doesn't really work because I get frustrated with Facebook and yeah. don't answer stuff. But um, but Nikki Kimball at Yahoo is, cool. and then and then I give you my more proper address after that. <laughs> um, but yeah, and um, you know I. I just love coaching people who want to do this at all levels, you know. But yeah. again, you know, I'm going to coach somebody for mostly ultra running or um, I love coaching um, 50 people in their 50s, 60s, 70s for shorter distance uh, stuff because I, I think um, people I, – I, I, I think masters and veteran athletes, you know, athletes over 50 have – 
you know, they have so much to gain from sport, and yeah. um, and it's something that I, even with the, the the book knowledge I have, there is no way I could have coached people um, people past you know forty five and before I realized a massive slowdown myself. I just it just it doesn't matter that you get it intellectually. Yeah. You don't get it till you feel it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and when I'm three minutes a mile fat slower than I was at my best, you know, you, you know, <laughs> you know, age is something <laughs> it is. Yeah, it totally is. I mean, it's the same thing when, you know, I have pregnant women that have never had a baby before yeah. and then want to run a, you know, I thought I could run a 5k like eight weeks after I had a baby because you don't know until it happens to you. And then you're like, Oh yeah. Like I do get slower with age. Yeah. Childbirth does something to your body, right? You don't know until you experience it and you can't expect someone to know that you can't. That's the other thing. I mean, it's not like all parents throughout history haven't told their kids. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You just wait, sonny. Um, (laughs) I mean, but it doesn't matter. We doesn't. can say those things. It doesn't, it doesn't, you don't get it till you go through it. I mean, I mean, I think book knowledge is super, super important and evidence mm-hmm. and all that, but experience can't be discounted. Well, and it's also really nice to have someone that has gone through it and yeah. knows yeah. because you want someone that has been through it and knows what to do and has experienced that right. so they can have empathy for right. you as a person, as a athlete and assist you. And also, you know, if it took me nine years to come Mm -hmm. to terms with my aging as an athlete, well, why would I expect my 57 year old runner Mm -hmm. to, um, be okay with running a 30 minute 5k when she used to run a 20 minute 5k? Like how, yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. like it's important to, you know, to have gone through that to, you know, and, and I don't know, you know, seeing as it took me forever to teach myself that lesson and I still don't think I'm completely there. Um, you know, I, I don't know how well I do, Mm -hmm. um, um, working, you know, helping people through that. Mm -hmm. But I wish I had had somebody who had gone through that slowdown with me when I did. Yeah. That totally makes sense. Is there anything else you want to talk about? No. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. We really, really appreciate it. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you for listening. And please subscribe to the podcast at podcast.healthywealthysmart.com. And don't forget to follow us on social media.